Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Part of the time honor tradition of ignoring that and sitting here awkwardly waiting for it to end. Um, you know what that actually reminds me of? Is have you ever been in an Oilers playoff game? Oh. And they <laughs> I'm getting there. Give me a second. You're getting ahead of me. You had an Oilers playoff game and it gets super loud and the crowd's cheering. And you're so excited, you're like, this year might be the year. I was there when they knocked off the ducks, knocked off the Red Wings. I'm like, we might make it. And the stadium was exploding and it was so loud. And if you were there with me today, you're probably going to relate to our topic, because our topic's forgiveness. <laughs> um, <laughs> being an Oilers fan, if I said, um, I actually remember this, so real incident, I'm at the Oilers game, Detroit actually went ahead on the game, and a guy stood up and pulled his Oilers jersey off, and he had a Detroit jersey underneath. <laughs> So not only did people boo him, but this is a playoff game. So somebody like threw a beer at him. And while I'm not condoning that behavior at all, um, it reminds me of the culture that we live in. Um, we live in a culture that is obsessed, obsessed with revenge, getting even, punishing people when we think they deserve it. Um, like a beer through the air at the Detroit Jersey. Um, revenge is a common narrative in our society. We see it, I think about like my own background and my love of nerd culture. I saw it in Spy versus Spy. Classic like conversations about people in the past, like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Basically every movie that Liam Neeson's made in the last 10 years. Um, and most of all, I think everybody would relate for that moment where he said, why didn't you go for the head? Um, if you don't know the reference, I'm sorry. If you want to watch 16, 20 hours of movies, I'll gladly do that with you. That's Thor from Endgame. Acts of revenge are something that we desire, that we want. We want to see people punished. We want to see revenge. We want to see people get punished for what they've done. And we can see this in the earliest texts. And you look in the Bible, there's stories from Samson, Jacob's sons avenging Dinah, everything in Judges and Kings pretty much. Cycles around revenge, getting even, punishing people, getting even with them. What can we do? Taking our own power. And it's not just found in the Bible. One of the first, we know one of the first transcribed written stories that went out to everyone, one of the first arguably novels was Gilgamesh, which is all about a story of revenge. Norse tales, Chinese, African narratives all have this narrative over and over again. That narrative is thousands of years old. And by the time Jesus walked the earth, he said this. In Romans 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. We were still sinners, and Christ died for us. Consider this juxtaposition of this, this narrative understood through time, this revenge, wanting to even, wanting to punish, wanting to have more power, more control, more land, bigger empires, more wealth. And Jesus came at just that right time. 
Now, to the world, this doesn't make any sense. And what's great is the Bible even says that. So Peter talks about that. This is going to sound like foolishness to everyone. But we just came before the bread and the wine and remember what Christ did, that he would die for us. This act, dying on the cross, this act of ultimate compassion and grace and mercy and love all hinges on one thing and one concept. It all boils down to one word, and that's forgiveness. Now, to define forgiveness, if you look at the root of the actual word, so the Greek word and the Hebrew word actually both are to hold, no longer hold account. So it's actually an accounting term, and it's if somebody owed you $100 and you were to wipe it away, completely ignore it, let it go, hold no ramifications of it, that's forgiveness. It's literally wiping the slate clean. Now, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to get you to open to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend some time there this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. And that brings us to our one another this morning. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. So we're called to forgive others the way Christ forgave us. So we did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to atone for it. We did nothing to deserve it. But he went to the cross and died for us. And he forgave us our sins. And we're called to have the same level of forgiveness for others. So that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. Now let me remind you of who you are. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but how unbelievably complex is this really simple idea. Now, I got hit with this idea years ago. I was at a Bible study. It was actually my mother-in-law, who's here today, who walked in that day, sat down, and said, I have something I want to talk about. And I'm like, okay. Usually, we like mingled and chit-chat, and she's like, I just got hit by this passage. I just got struck by it, the idea that we forgive as Christ forgave. And we ended up derailing our entire plan that night and just basically talking about that one verse and how utterly complex it is. So to give this context, to understand this, we're going to back it up in Ephesians a bit. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And ultimately, this is how we actually forgive. We forgive not only because we're called to do it, but because we're actually empowered by God through our very creation to do it. Revenge, judgment, punishment, these are products of the futile, futility of thinking that Paul talked about. And it's so easy to get caught up in that. 
So let's try something. I want you to put yourself in my shoes. To give you context for my shoes, I'm a social worker, I work in mental health, I have for arguably a better part of a decade. I spent some time working on a forensic unit, so kids in jail with mental health. Right now I'm working in the community. And I was at the Stollery last week, and I met this boy. He's 10 years old, and he was assaulted by a male in public. And he was talking to me that day because he was really upset because his court had ended in 2019, and the male who assaulted him got two years house arrest. And I see heads shaking, and I see people looking away. Does that seem just? Does it seem fair? If this youth took it upon himself to seek retribution, would that make it more fair? What's the right punishment, though? Is it five years, 10 years, 15 years, 25 to life? Death penalty? Do we kick him out of our society? It's so easy to slip in and embrace this narrative that demands justice. And we think that justice is going to bring about peace. And we think that justice will give that person solace. But what's by justice in this case? We're talking about revenge. And revenge is hollow and meaningless. If this kid took revenge, if he even took the life of the man who had done this heinous thing to him, would it make his life better? Would it bring him any peace? Well, let me tell you something. It actually doesn't. And I can say this from experience. I've sat across the table from a youth who took the life of somebody who did something awful to them. And I sat with them while they cried bitter tears because they now found themselves in jail. And they couldn't understand how it didn't bring them healing, how it just brought them this hollowness, this emptiness. It left this void in them. It should have worked. It should have been like the Punisher. It should have been like Game of Thrones. It should have been like Breaking Bad. It should have been revenge. They should have gotten even. It should have felt good. But that's what sin does. It's destructive. It gets a foothold on us, and it takes things away from us and hurts us. And if we're in a society obsessed about revenge narrative, we're equally surprised by the narrative of forgiveness. And what the thing that's really cool about this narrative, about looking at forgiveness and talking about forgiveness, is that it actually shocks people and tends to make the news. So in researching this, I came across the story of Pope John Paul II. Pope John Paul II, was, there was an assassination attempt the year before I was born. Somebody tried to take his life. He was in a coma for five days, and upon waking up, the first thing he said is, we need to pray for our brother. His response was, we need to pray for this man. And not only that, he went to jail to meet him, and they developed in a relationship. Because that's the awesome thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't to negate punishment. He didn't say, we got to get him out of jail. We got to free him. He didn't picket signs and demand freedom for the person who tried to assassinate him. And I'm not negating punishment for anybody who gets it. That's not what forgiveness is about. But for that individual who inflicted pain from this horrendous murder attempt came a relationship. Think about how unbelievably powerful that is. I saw a speaker once speaking to a group of social workers, 
And she went up on stage, was telling the story about her husband, went to a house party, and a youth was very intoxicated and had knocked her husband down the stairs, quite by accident. And he had broken his neck, and he was in a wheelchair for quite a long time. And then he ended up passing from, like, passing from a pneumonia he got. And then she welcomed the boy on stage and talked about how going to jail was the only thing that healed her. Meeting this person, watching him go through his own struggles, through his own understanding, through his own repair, and now he was on a day pass because he was still serving out his punishment. His punishment wasn't done. But he was there to talk to us this morning about how important it was to heal and forgive, to seek each other out. Now, these are horrendous circumstances, but I can go bigger. So what about Corey Tim Boom? Ha, got it. I always say Bloom, and Megan's like, you have to get the name right. It's Corey Tim Boom. She's a Holocaust survivor. She was approached for a former camp guard on a tour, and he asked for her forgiveness. Now, she remembered this camp guard. This was a camp guard who beat her sister severely with a stick. And as he walked up to her, her initial reaction was utter horror to even be asked. Then Corey Tim Bloom has this to say. She says, even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin in them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our own forgiveness any more than our own goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. As he walked up to her, she knew. She knew she was called to forgive this person. She knew she was called to forgive as Christ forgave. But she couldn't do it on her own. And he could never earn it. There's nothing he could ever do to make atonement for what he had done. This really had to be freely offered. So how do we do that? How do we be like these people? How do we forgive? Maybe there's somebody this morning that you're thinking about that you're holding a grudge against. Maybe there's somebody who's holding a grudge against you. Maybe there's somebody that you just absolutely don't think you could ever forgive for what they did. I'm going to suggest it's possible through God and I'm going to give you the four of forgiveness. So usually we talk about the three, we're going to do four. Because it's forgiveness, so it just works well. First point, forgiveness repairs relationships. The whole reason Christ died on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice of forgiveness. And it was in order that all people everywhere and for all time may heal and have a real deep relationship with God. It's real, it's tangible, it's alive. God wants you to forgive as he forgave so your relationships can be mended in the same way. I think of the example today of Pope John Paul II, assassination becoming his friend, that taking a step in forgiveness will repair and deliver that relationship and mend it. Point two, two of the forgiveness. Forgiveness liberates us. Um, our first two songs this morning had freedom as a theme. Free, free, wherever we're free. Um, how can we 
pronounce that and embrace that and enjoy that. We get free from the cycle of revenge or pain from those that hurt us or powers that have oppressed us. God was so deeply pained by the separation from Adam and Eve, from man, from his creation that he loved, that he declared, he prophesied right from the very beginning that Satan would be crushed under man's heel. He had a way to repair this relationship even as it was happening. Now again, that didn't forgo punishment. That didn't forgo the punishment that they would receive because forgiveness and punishment don't go hand in hand. Kincaid came up a few weeks ago. I mentioned holding a grudge against another student. Now that student didn't even know. The only thing that hurt was him because that's ultimately what carrying around these vendettas can do or these grudges can do is it can hurt ourselves and drag us down without ever the other person might not even know what's happening. The youth that took the life of his abuser, the resentment and anger grew into actions that forever changed his life and left him feeling hollow and empty. So if forgiveness repairs relationships and forgiveness liberates us, we have to know that forgiveness is actually possible. But this isn't a solo act. Christ died on the cross for us. Christ called out for God to forgive them as he was literally dying on the cross. He said they know not what they do. God's power of forgiveness is unbelievably powerful. And we're able to tap into that through the Holy Spirit. One of the things going through this, preparing for this today, was thinking about, you start thinking about all the horrible things that have happened in life and how could possibly people ever find a way to forgive them. And I think of Corrie Tim Boom, and I think that's why her story stands out. Because she went through the Holocaustal genocide and was able to find forgiveness to one of the orchestrators of it. But she said, and she gives the credit back to God, that that's not something she thought she could have done under her own power, under her own goodness. That was done by conviction from Christ and through the power, power of the Holy Spirit. So forgiveness repairs relationships, it liberates us, it's possible. Last point is it's ours. Forgiveness is ours. It's ours to have. It takes a great step of humility sometimes to recognize that you've been called to forgive, but the whole of creation rests on that one concept. God created man in his image, and from the Garden of Eden, he planned the means for all mankind to be given the gift of forgiveness, a gift that came at a brutal cost. And if you believe that God can create the world, can come down, can die for you, would rise again from the death and conquer it, We'd go to heaven and build a means for you to live with him forever. How can you not possibly believe that he could give you the power to forgive somebody else? Nothing is beyond the power of God. And no sin is too horrendous, despicable, or evil for his powers not to heal. I want to leave you with one final illustration this morning of forgiveness. We've talked about genocide, about murder, about assault. What about the unthinkable? And I know you're going the unthinkable. Those are all pretty unthinkable. Um, in 2006, a couple got up that morning, got their three kids ready. Two of them went off to school. One of them went with mom as she prepared a prayer group at her house. 
As she was getting her house ready, her husband lied to her, said he had an early business meeting, left the house, filled his truck with guns and wood, and went to an Amish schoolhouse. Now this was the West Nickel Mine School. He walked in, he ordered all the men, boys and teachers to leave. 11 girls were left behind alone with him. 11 girls ran, were hostage. One girl heard a voice that day that said run, and she ran, and she made it out. 10 girls were shot, and before the end of the day, five girls would be dead. That same day, Harold, an elder from the Amish community and member of the school board, went to the house of the parents of the man who had shot up that school. Now that man had taken his own life. There's gonna be no retribution, there's gonna be no punishment, there's gonna be no answers. He walked into that house, saw the shooter's father weeping openly at a table, and went up and just put his hand on him and sat with him for an hour, said nothing. The man looked up and said, you know, they had bought this parcel of land off the Amish to live on, and he said, we'll sell it back to you, we know we need to leave. And Harold looked at him and said, you can't leave now, your family needs us. The next day, the father of the little girl who escaped, who had lost a, da a different daughter, and his third daughter was in the ICU, showed up at the white house of the shooter to ask his wife if he could mow the lawn to make sure that the funeral arrangements would be paid for and to let her know that he was planning to make sure that they had enough food and they had enough provision because they had lost their provider. The wife and daughters and the family were invited to the funeral of the girls. And days later, as they postponed the funeral for the armed man, the church showed up, the community showed up. 85 members of the Amish community, including the parents of the children who had died, went to the funeral for that man. They hugged the wife and they talked to the children. Now, as you can imagine, the news stations were blowing up when this happened, when it was a shooting, because it was an odd shooting. Like, pre-COVID, in the United States, if you're not aware, they average about one school shooting a week, so they don't all make the news anymore, because it's not really newsworthy. But this one happened in Amish school, so it's odd. And then it blew up ridiculously, because why would these people forgive? What's the plan behind this? What's the secret? things going on behind the scene that no one knows. And I was able to find this clip of this old lady who was interviewed from the Amish community. She's 85 years old, and I think her name is Helen. And they asked her if the news brought, or newsman asked, like, was there a plan? Did you get together in a community and plan who would go and how they would go and how they would talk to this family and how you would do your forgiveness? And she bursts out laughing. And she stops him and she's like, are you asking me if we planned to forgive them? with this utter dumbfounded expression on her face, because that was never the question. It was never a question of whether they were to forgive them. Harold, 
went to that house the very day that it happened, and he admits that he only went six hours after it happened. He waited so long because he wanted to make sure the family was comfortable before he went. He didn't want to impose on them. This is the forgiveness that Christ wants from us. Now to put this all together and to wrap this up, I want to share the words of Pastor Brian Zaned. Now he wrote a book called Unconditional, The Call of Jesus for Radical, Radical Forgiveness. And of the shooting he wrote, yes, I believe the blood of those little girls has a voice. A voice that whispers forgive. Had not those girls prayed a short while earlier, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and deliver us from evil? Who knew that their trespasses they would need to forgive would be their own murder? And what about the prayer to be delivered from evil? Did that prayer go unanswered? Well, I don't believe so. Though they were not delivered from the evil of murder, they were delivered from the evil of being defined by evil. Those little Amish girls are not remembered merely as victims, but as martyrs for a gospel of forgiveness. Evil was not allowed to be the writer of the last words on their lives. Because of the community they belonged to, forgiveness had the last word, and they were delivered from evil. Maybe you're struggling this morning. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive, or you can feel that tug from the Spirit leading you. Our lives don't need to be defined by conflict. They don't need to be defined by sin. They don't need to be defined by unforgiveness. And if you keep seeking an understanding of forgiveness through punishment that the world offers, honestly, you're always going to come up hollow. So if there's somebody on your heart, I would encourage you to pray, to think about the four of forgiveness, and think about how God can empower you to have that forgiveness and that freedom. Free, free, forever we're free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're the, the God of forgiveness. We came before these emblems this morning, the bread and the wine, to remember what you did on the cross, that you would die for us, that you loved us enough to come down to this world, to walk with us, to lead us, to guide us, to give us these words, and to empower these people to leave behind this letter of your love, Lord. That we can go before Scripture and we can understand you better. And God, we all struggle sometimes with forgiveness. I know I have, and I know my friends have, and my family have. God, we all go through times of turbulation, and we all go through times of trespass, and we all go through times of evil, God. And I just pray that if there's somebody here struggling this morning, God, or somebody online, that you would be with them, that you would encourage them, God, that you would show them that they do have the power through you, Lord, that they can offer forgiveness and they can have that peace that comes from it. You call us to forgive one another just as you forgave because you loved us that much to give us that example, God. And because forgiveness is so encompassing and so powerful and it's ours to take. So we thank you for that gift, God. We thank you for that ability. And we thank you most of all that you would die on the cross for us, Lord. We say all these things in your precious son's holy name.
Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.